It's never a good sign when the pastor's wife moves back as he starts to preach. That's... Ah, thanks. You just didn't want to get spat upon is what happens. Good morning. I'm Doug Vinay. It's good to be back. It's like coming home whenever we're here. And uh, I'm loud, Jay, so you might want to... I'm good? Okay. I'll pray for you. Um, Abby and I had uh, dinner with Robert and Cindy, uh, your retiring pastor and his wife Monday night, and uh, they were grieving. But you know what? I think the anticipation for what God has in store for you is also lifting them. And uh, just the spirit of this service encourages me. And uh, I believe the Lord has given me uh, an encouraging word for you. I want it to be a visionary word. Uh, I have the privilege as a missionary to say anything I want. (laughs) (coughs) And and I will, by God's grace. (coughs) But I want you to listen. And I want you to pay attention because I'll be reading from 1 Thessalonians, the first 10 verses of the first chapter. Uh, Paul begins with thanksgiving. I want you to pay attention to what he's thankful for. And then he moves and and says, how did we get to this place where I can be thankful? How did God do that? Uh, And that'll be the focus of the sermon. you know, I'm always tickled because I always get the same advice. Now, here at Center, we'd like you to preach for about 23 minutes. Well, I'm a missionary, and I'll do whatever I want. <coughs> um, thank you, thank you, thank you. Please hold the applause till the end. Um, you know, Abby and I love you and love this church. You have been friends to us. I first preached here in 2000, 24 years ago. And uh, you were the first church to support us in our missionary work in Zambia and now Namibia. Um, I'm very grateful for that. Abby and I are very grateful. I was just text chatting with Percy Muleba. Some of you know. Abby said, what are you doing? Get off the phone. I said, I'm chatting with Percy. Um, Isn't that amazing? And uh, he sends his greetings as well. And he'll be visiting in the area uh, starting January 20th for a few weeks. So we're happy about that. Are you ready for God's word? I am too. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, please come in power. Please come in wisdom. Help us to understand your word. Help us to eat it. Help it to become part of us so that we live it. We love you, Jesus. And everybody said together, amen. Amen. This is the word of God to the church of the Thessalonians, Paul, Silas, and Timothy Wright. To the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, northern Greece. 
The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we don't need to say anything about it. For they themselves report to us what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. This is the word of God. <clears throat> wow, that's some word, isn't it? That's some word. I had the privilege last year of spending about three months studying First Thessalonians, which I had not studied in earnest for many years. It's a powerful book. I, I commend it to you. Paul begins by being grateful. And he's grateful because the faith of the Thessalonians has transformed them in three ways. He says, first of all, their faith has resulted in work. A better translation might be, their trust has erupted into deeds in their life. In other words, their trust in God has caused them to do something, to take action. One of the biggest differences between the African church and the American church is the African church focuses on action while the American church focuses on belief. We ask, what do you believe? The Africans ask, what are you doing? They can't be separated, actually, uh, because belief without doing isn't real belief, and doing without belief isn't properly motivated. Are you with me? They go together. Trust in Jesus always leads to deeds. It's impossible to separate the two. And, and this trust word is a, hard, is a deep word. It's not just, oh, I believe. I took a class. This is an entrustment of my very life into the hands of the risen Savior, right? It's very personal, very relational. And it's this trust level which then begins to work its way out in deeds. Does that make sense to you? And so something has to be done. I'll give you an example. I, 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 have you ever heard of the great Walinda family? They were, they were like high flyers, tightrope walkers, all this stuff. And one of them, I can never remember which, was a Christian. And he used to give an example. He used to say... Uh, he'd be up on the high wire and he'd tell the crowd, I think it was once time at the Tallulah Gorge in Georgia he did this, right? 400 feet down, he walks across the high wire and comes back, hey, I did it, now do you believe I can do it without my accompanying pole? Everybody cheered, yes, you can do it. And he does it again and he comes back, How does everybody believe I can take this wheelbarrow and go across? And he goes across with the wheelbarrow and comes back. Does everybody believe I can put a person in this wheelbarrow? And everybody believe I can take a person across and back? And everybody cheers, and he says, volunteer? <laughs> See, that's the difference between belief and faith. Belief cheers, faith gets in the wheelbarrow. And Paul says that kind of trust erupts into deeds. All right? He also says, secondly, you have a love now, a supernatural love, that has caused you to labor. And that word labor means uh, toil until you break out in sweat. In other words, your love is so deep that it causes you to pay a price. Uh, now, the women in here who have had children understand that kind of labor, don't you? Those of you who have had children, do you know when I say the word labor, what do you think of? Yes. 
And, and what, what happens, you see, when a child is born, if things go well, at the moment of birth, all sorts of hormones are released into the woman's body so that she feels this sense of deep joy, this amazing love, this, wow, after our second child was born, after Emily was born, they, they took her, they were going to clean her up, and I looked at Abby and she smiled and said, let's have another one. <laughs> I said, well, see, that's labor prompted by love. And so Paul says, your trust has resulted in deeds, but now your love has caused you to labor, has caused you to sweat. You, you pay, you're paying the price with your love, maybe difficult decisions, painful separations. Who knows? Because true love actually causes pain, doesn't it, right? It's impossible to love without experiencing pain. So Paul says, I'm thankful for that. And then he says, your, he talks about your endurance that's inspired by hope. In other words, your hope is not in your own efforts, your own life. Your hope is that one day Jesus will return and make all things right and make all things new. And so we live this life with a deep awareness that this is not actually the life that is really life. We are fish out of water. We hope. And because we hope, we continue to flop around and endure. Does that make sense? And so Paul says, I can look at you and I see faith, hope, and love. These three, do you remind, does this remind you of something? And the greatest of these is? Here we are again. He's back in 1 Corinthians 13. So all of this is teaching us, okay, this is transformed lives, right? He's speaking to individuals in the Thessalonian church. He's speaking to the church body, right? Did you listen to the pastoral prayer this morning? <coughs> Calling us to this way of life. It's a new way of life. And Paul says, I'm thankful because it's actually real in you. But the real question for me, as I read this, was, well, that's fantastic. What an amazing thing to be part of a, a church where faith, hope, and love are dominating, where good deeds are being done, and people are laboring and breaking in sweat to care for each other, and, and they're living in hope with a sense of endurance, and ah, they're tough, they're loving, they're trusting. How did it happen? And then Paul lays it out. And I want you to look with me at six words, and I won't, this is fun, I won't belabor them. Six <laughs> words that talk about how it unfolded. And what I'd like to encourage you to do as a church is to think about your life as a congregation as you move forward under Logan Keck's pastoral leadership. Listen to the possibility. Let it be a call to you to say, well, in some ways, this is already who we are, but it's not fully who we are. Who could we be, and how could it happen? Can you do that with me this morning? Here's the first word, incarnation. The first word is incarnation. Paul says, I came and lived among you. Brothers and sisters, Jesus, the word, was made flesh and lived among us, right? Paul then says, I came and lived among you. What's the principle? The principle is simply this. The first stage in someone's life being transformed is that a Christian comes and lives among them. The movement is outward. With all due respect, 
your goal at Center Church cannot be that more people come, but rather that more people go. The, the coming follows the going. Does that make sense? There's nowhere in Scripture that non-Christians are commanded to go to church. But there's everywhere in Scripture that Christians are commanded to go hang out with non-Christians. And most Christians don't have any non-Christian friends. And bizarrely, in our culture, study after study has shown that each of us, on average, has six to eight people over whom we have profound influence from their perspective, and most of us don't take advantage of that. Where are you living? Do you think it's an accident that you're living where you live? You, you, are, you are incarnate where you're living, where your neighborhood is, where you work, your family. So the question is, as you think about that, are you thinking, wait, that's where I've been placed. That's my mission field. I have no idea why God called Doug and Abby to Africa. It's irrelevant to me. My mission field is here. And most of us don't view our lives that way. We view mission as out there. We view life here. But that's not biblical. Biblically, where you live is the incarnation because the Holy Spirit fills us as Christians. So wherever we are, the Holy Spirit is. Where do you live? Center. Every single... Do you realize the influence this group of people has right here on the community? Just this group. You don't take it seriously enough. I'm charging you to pay attention. One of the things that happens to churches that are older and want to be younger is older people say, well, I'm irrelevant. It's not true. You finally know what you're doing. <clears throat> the world is desperate for Jesus. You have Jesus. Don't withhold Jesus from the world. First word is incarnation. Second word, conviction. It says, I came and lived among you, and then you were convicted. That's an interesting word. It, you know, the second part of that word, I took five years of Latin, so I'm an expert. The second part of that word means victorious. It, it, in other words, something happened. What, what does conviction mean? He convinced them by reason and argument. And what's interesting is he said, this happened through the power of the Holy Spirit. You notice how Paul connects the Holy Spirit with reason and argument? We often think of conviction as an unreasonable experience. I don't know, something just came over me. But biblically, that's not really the way it happens. The way it happens is, is that over time, through thinking it through, through argument, through reason, the Holy Spirit works and I begin to become convinced that this Christianity is something that's of interest to me. Now, how does that happen? Wait, remember the first point? It happens because Christians who understand what they believe are living among them and helping them to become convinced. But in order to convince, you yourself must have conviction. You must know why you believe, and you must know what you believe. And I've been a pastor a long time. Brothers and sisters, we're shaky here. 
People have serious questions. If God is good, why is there suffering in the world? Can you answer that question? Because it's answered, it's asked every day in the emergency room. And so, learning my faith, not just the Apostles' Creed, which is awesome, but the major questions of life. Who am I? Why am I here? What is this issue with suffering? Why is, how come no matter what I do, everything gets messed up? What is the difference between this world and the coming world? How does all this work together? Those questions are being raised by people. They don't ask them theologically. They say things like, why does my life stink? Why don't I like my job? How come my wife left me? Why don't my children respect me? Those are the questions. And we're living there, and then we're not answering the questions because we aren't convicted and convinced enough by reason and argument of our own faith. And so we're not confident. I run into this all the I wouldn't know what to say, Pastor. I wouldn't know what to say. You know what, brothers and sisters, that's no excuse. You better learn what to say. And uh, don't bother me with it, but go to Logan. He'll tell you what to read. <laughs> go to the class. Don't, don't not show up at 9 o'clock for that eight-week series. Come. Find out. Because God has placed you where he wants you, and you're the ones through whom he wants to convince people at, so that they can be convicted by the Holy Ghost. Are you with me? Do you have, are you getting excited? Look to your right and say, it's hard to believe, but God can use you. It's crazy. It's a bad plan. I've talked to him about it for years. He saw, he just smiles at me and says, yeah, well, tough. That's the plan. Here's the third thing. Here's the third thing. Paul says their conviction was followed by conversion. Now listen, this is crucial. He says, you turned from idols to the living God. I want you to forget the word idol because, you see, we're sophisticated Americans and we don't worship idols. And I want you to replace the word idol with money, sex, and power. You turned from money and sex and power to the living God. Can you do that with me? Turn to your neighbor and say... Turn away from money, sex, and power. Oh, we get uncomfortable. Yeah, a couple of people are going, what's that got to do with me? Yeah, I like them. They're good. All right, listen. Not in their proper place, but in their place of idolatry. When they become ultimate, then we're no longer worshipers of the one true God. Paul says, you turned, right, because all the old gods, all the pagan gods, all the animistic gods, all of that is always concerned with money, sex, and power in some combination. Believe me, it's always the same three. Now, the word turn means repent. And it's an unpopular word right now. You see, because we're all fine. Everybody's great. Nobody's doing anything wrong except people who say that people are doing things wrong. That they're the ones who are doing something wrong. Everybody else says every, everything's right except those who say it's not right. But I'm here to announce to you the good news of the Bible. 
y'all are going to hell without Jesus. I've been reading the book of Ezekiel this winter. It's very depressing. Because the problem within us is insurmountable by us. And if we are not converted by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we repent and turn away from that which is not ultimate to that which is ultimate, we cannot be Christians. And when we convince somebody of the truth of Christianity and then lie to them about this repentance issue, we're not doing them any favors. Pastor, if I become a Christian, will I have to stop shacking up with my boyfriend? Yes. If I become a Christian, will I have to stop stealing things at work? Yes. Will I have to pay my taxes? Yes. It's, uh, people, they look at me, oh, God, I thought so. I had one woman say, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I said, well, I didn't say it. Jesus said it. Paul said it. The prophets said it. Moses said it. Repent, Jesus says. The kingdom of God is at hand. That's how he inaugurated his ministry. John the Baptist. Stop doing that and start doing this. Because repentance is I'm just happy. Oh, baby. Money, sex, and power. Woo! Jesus. Your Lord. You put money, sex, and power in their proper place in my life. Jesus, you're ultimate. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, save me. Jesus, convert me. I have to have you. And I can't have you if I'm racing after them. When I asked Abby to marry me, it was fundamentally a decision to stop chasing skirt. Right? If it's... It's not. Incarnation, conviction, conversion, which means repentance. Paul says those things happen in you. Okay? Now, it gets really dicey from here on out because the next word is imitation. Right? They live a new lifestyle. And what's depressing about this is Paul describes it as Suffering with joy. Look to your neighbor and say, oh boy, we get to suffer. <laughs> you know, Christianity is the most down-to-earth religion in the world. I mean, we serve a crucified Savior. Who here has suffered on the last 24 hours? All right, the rest of you were liars. Suffering is normal in a fallen world. And if Christianity doesn't address the reality of living suffering with the reality of joy, which is, I understand my ultimate end is not this world, my joy comes from my relationship with the one I've turned to, my joy is now growing out from within, it is not circumstantial, right? It's relational. When that happens then we can carry the cross. What did Jesus say discipleship was? You must do what? Pick up your cross and follow me. Okay. Gee, that's charming. We have so sanitized the cross. 
Jesus said, those of you who want to follow me, you must pick up your lethal injection and follow me. You must pick up your electric chair. You must pick up your noose, your guillotine. Does that make it fresher? What does he mean? It means that we will now walk out our faith and we will suffer and help with the suffering of the world. Why are we having a baby bottle boomerang at this church? Is it because all is well for those young mothers? No, it's because, it, because they're suffering the consequences of their actions, aren't they? And if we don't join them in their suffering by carrying our cross, you see, they can't ever be convinced and be converted. Are you with me? So, so when we're incarnate and we're convincing and we're leading the conversion, what are we saying to them? Come join us in a new lifestyle. And the lifestyle, it was very eloquent, Karen, but it was challenging what you prayed. Forgiving as we've been forgiven? That's tough. Everybody wants to be forgiven. Nobody wants to forgive. Uh, I heard somebody say, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. You know, we want to be Elijah, swept up. But even Jesus had to die. And so Paul says, self-denial, positive action, you're going to pay the price. You're going to pay the price. If you love well, you will pay the price. If you take responsibility for the world's suffering, you'll pay the price. Now, I read something troubling. I've been rereading re Richard Lovelace's uh, book on renewal, Dynamics of Spiritual Life, it's called. Dr. Richard Lovelace, a friend of ours who's passed away now and, and uh, was a uh, professor at Gordon-Connell Seminary. Um, wonderful guy. Uh, his book on renewal studies all the renewal movements in, in church history. It's an amazing book. And in it, he says, in order for a local congregation to be renewed, <laughs> listen to what he says, we must turn away from this kind of thinking. Are you ready? I will give my pastor special honor as he exercises his gifts as long as he leaves my lifestyle undisturbed and doesn't try to involve me in work. <laughs> Oops. If you do that to Logan, this church will fail. If you let Logan be who he is, which is your shepherd, and you get to doing what you're supposed to be doing, which is being incarnate, convincing, leading people to conversion, suffering with them, helping them tap into the joy that comes from knowing Jesus, the church will thrive. Are you with me? Don't do this to him. He's a new pastor. Give him six months. But don't make the trade. Don't make that trade. Don't tempt him to become an idol-worshiping pastor as he worships the affirmation, the acclaim. Pastor, what would we do without you? Oh, pastor, without you we'd be nothing. Oh, pastor, oh, pastor, oh, pastor. If, if you're not angry at Logan sometime in the next year because he's called you to a new lifestyle, then fire him.
if you're not angry with your pastor because he's called you to a new lifestyle, you should fire your pastor. Are you with me? Because Jesus, as soon as your attention comes to Jesus, he says, Ooh, follow me. And we go, where? And he goes, who knows? You're following me, not where I'm going. All through my ministry, and I don't know why it is, and it's very ironic that I've ended up working in Africa. I cannot tell you how many times people considering Christianity have said, now, Pastor, one thing I'm worried about, what's that? If I come and become a follower of Jesus, I mean, he, he might send me to Africa. <laughs> they don't say, oh, I'm so worried he might send me to Des Moines. My God, he might send me to L.A. No, it's never that. It's Africa. And what they're really saying is, I might end up becoming uncomfortable. And what I'd really like to be is comfortable. Brothers and sisters, you will never be comfortable in this life. Not really. You'll have moments of comfortable. You'll have seasons of comfortable. But you will never be comfortable. That's why all this nonsense about don't trigger me is nonsense. This world is a giant gun about to go off in all our faces. We are triggered daily. I, I mean, I feel annoyed with some of you right now. <laughs> are you with me? So, so let's get real. New lifestyle, brothers and sisters. No nonsense. We don't live the way the world lives. Our financial ethic, our sexual ethic, our understanding of power, it's all different. It's upside down, and no one will respect it. They'll think we're crazy, but we don't live for this world, you see. We live for the kingdom of God, and there are different rules. There's a new king in town, and he has his laws and his way of life, and he's going to establish his kingdom. And while the nations of the world and the elite of the world are screaming, 25,000 new Christians a day on the continent of Africa with people who have nothing, but they have Jesus. Number five, if all those four things happen, multiplication happens. Churches all the why aren't we growing? Re go back and reread one through four. Their reputation and their message, in other words, their lifestyle and their words together, not one or the other, together, have impacted the entire region of northern Greece and indeed the entire Mediterranean world by way of reputation. Now think about that. About, there were about 100 of them. About, a group about this size. Well, that's being generous. How is that possible? Because, because of all that had happened, they became multipliers of the faith. You know the law of generations, right? You know how Islam's taking over Europe. They're doing it by having more babies than Christians. Christians in Europe are having 1.4 children per couple, and the Muslims are having 5.7. Four generations. The Muslims will be the majority. Already 65% of London. They haven't done anything except have babies. Are you catching this? Multiplication is God's math. 
His economy is a multiplying economy, not an addition economy. Addition economies are we hire someone who goes out and does it. Multiplication is we all breed. Look to your neighbor and say, God wants you to breed new Christians. <sighs> Look to your neighbor and say, you're about to give birth. <laughs> Healthy things multiply. Why is it so grievous for a young couple when they can't become pregnant? Because healthy things multiply, and they know that something's wrong. What's wrong with me? How m I'm telling you as a pastor, the tears. Pastor, what's wrong? What's wrong? It's painful. Church, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? You're not multiplying. It means you're not healthy. Check number one through four again. Listen to me. Healthy things multiply. Here's something else. It'll shock you to know this, but shepherds don't give birth to sheep. <laughs> sheep give birth to sheep. <laughs> Logan, oh, Logan, Logan, if you do your job, we'll multiply. No, if Logan does his job, you'll multiply. If only we had a better pastor, we'd have more new members. Well, no, you'd have his ability to multiply, which is one to two people a year. That's healthy. One person, one every two years is healthy. Spiritually, it takes time to multiply, right? Because you've got to have the incarnation and the conviction and the conversion and the imitation. That all has to happen before that person can now multiply. Are you with me? Are you catching this? It's the old question, would you like a million dollars today or a penny today doubled every day for 30 days? Which do you want? I don't know. It's the, and you go, well, I want the million dollars. Well, you're an idiot. Because a penny doubled for 30 days is something like $17 billion or some crazy thing. It's ridiculous. Because it's 1, 2, 4, 8, 16, 32, 64. You're only on day 5. And the next thing you know, pop, 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 pop. Listen to me. You're supposed to be multiplying. The good news is, it doesn't now matter how old you are. You can multiply Christians. You, know, you outgrow our ability to multiply babies. You never outgrow your ability to multiply Christians. You could be 120 years old and you can still multiply a Christian. The question is, do you know how to get pregnant and have Christian babies? Check out numbers one through four. Now the problem is if the sheep won't breed, then the shepherd only has two options to keep his job. Buy sheep or steal sheep. Those are your two options. And by the way, those are the most common church growth tactics in the American church. Well, the people won't breed, so let's have a giveaway at youth group. We'll give away a new bike. Everybody invite your friends, and we'll have a drawing. It's how you buy sheep, or you steal them. You pray that everybody gets ticked off at the Methodist church, and then they'll come here, which means everybody's churches are filled with angry people. And i got to be honest with you. Angry people don't make love, and they don't breed. Right? Are you catching it? 
right. Do, need I belabor this? <laughs> Number six and the last one, anticipation. Paul says, now that these five, what begins to happen? We anticipate the return of Jesus. We long for the return of Jesus. Why? Why? Because that's what saves us from the wrath to come. Let's not play games here. God's wrath is real. It's just. It's not anger. God isn't vicious. His holiness cannot look on sin. And the solution to that is the cross of Jesus Christ. It's the shed blood of Jesus. It's the risen Savior. That's our hope. And Paul says we anticipate that, which means we actively wait. Because biblically, waiting is active. It's not passive. Those who wait on the Lord shall watch videos all day. No, shall renew their strength. They shall, I bet you know this, Karen. They shall, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall rise up like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So apparently, while we're waiting, we're supposed to be flying, running, and walking. Listen, Karen says, but the doctor says I'm not allowed to do any of those. <laughs> That's right. Well, I was with the pastor until he started that old running and walking thing. Listen, listen, y'all. So we anticipate the return of Christ. We long for it. It means we become more active here. I think it was C.S. Lewis who said, those who put their hope in this world become useless for the world. But those who put their hope in heaven become useful for heaven and for this world. Something like that. The most useful people in the world are those who long for the next. Because they know that this world has eternal value. right? That the people you're living among to convince and lead to conversion, etc., etc., they, wow, they're the ones who will inherit the kingdom of God. They're the ones who will be raised up and see Jesus as he really is. That's the motivation. Wow! Right? Or to put it another way, guess what? We win. We win. I've told you the story before. I'll never forget it all my life. Ralph Sampson, the great Virginia team, basketball team. Oh, they were the world, blah, 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 blah. Wake Forest, very good back then. I know it's hard to believe, but not that good. And it was being, you know, back, you remember back in the day when you had a 12-inch black and white TV, because that's what Abby and I had when we first got married. And they were going to televise the game delayed at 10 p.m. that was only on radio earlier in the day. And I had to work. And Abby called me at 9 and said, do you want to know what happened before I came from work? Do I, do I want to know what happened before I watch it? Yeah, yeah, I do. Wake Forest won. <sighs> and I want to tell you something. Until the last eight minutes of the game, it was one of the worst games of Wake Forest season. They were terrible. They were throwing the ball out of bounds, dribbling off their feet, calling stupid fouls, yelling and carrying on. They were down by like 13 points with eight minutes to play. And every time they screwed up, I said, we win! <laughs> Hallelujah! Oh, another foul! We win! That's what anticipation, that's, 
we win. We fall down, we get up. Why? Because we win. We keep plugging away, we persevere. Why? Because Jesus is coming back. We serve a risen Savior. We win. Death has no authority over us anymore. Oh, we suffer it, but it has no authority. And so I leave you with that. Center church, listen. This is what God wants to do with you. And in some regards is already doing with you, right? Because some of you know what one through four means on a very personal level. Maybe all of you. That's between you and the Lord. But, but is five and six happening? Pray. Get with it. What do you have to adjust in your life so that those six become the way you're living? Not the way you're thinking, the way you're living. Because then we can be thankful together for faith that leads to deeds, for labor, for love that leads to labor, right? And for hope that leads to endurance. Because by God's grace, somebody came and lived among us convinced us about Jesus. We got convicted. We repented. Our lifestyle began to change. We experienced what it's like to lead someone else to Christ. And now, with them, we hope for the future that Jesus will return and we continue to plug away. Does that make sense? This is the Christian life. And I'm charging you, I'm encouraging you, I'm calling you to this. I'm excited for you. excited for you. Holy Spirit, we invite you to do this very thing here at Center. Wherever we are as individuals, wherever this congregation is, Lord, have your way with one through six so that the three things of thanksgiving will become so real that the reputation of this church will spread to Mooresville, to Iredell County, and beyond that your gospel may go forth and more and more people will come to know Jesus, to turn from idols to the one true God and to live in his kingdom, anticipating its fullness. And we pray in your name, Jesus, and God's people said, amen. amen.